I heard a story about a rich man. This is not the rich man that Jesus talks about, uh, but this was a rich man, and he was not a very nice man. And when he became old and near death, he decided that he did not want his wealth to go to his wife or children. I mean, they didn't earn it. He did. So he told his wife to promise him that she would take all his money and bury it with him when he died. So he called his lawyer, uh, made an official statement, had her sign it, that she would indeed bury his money with him when he died. So on the day of the burial, as the, as the casket was being lowered into the ground, someone whispered to the wife, someone who knew about this arrangement. He said, did you, did you really put all his money in the casket? She said, I did. I wrote him a check <laughs> for the full amount of what he is worth, and I added a note saying, you can cash his check at any bank at any time, but I'd prefer if you do it this month. You can't take it with you. You can't. And you know, this is such an obvious, simple truth, and yet it's a truth we are constantly in need of being reminded of. And so today, in our gospel reading, Jesus reminds us. What we're told is that a man comes up to Jesus and he says, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the family inheritance with me. Now, two things we assume. First, we assume that this is the younger brother talking to Jesus, that the older brother is the one not sharing the inheritance. Second, we assume that the older brother is present, part of this crowd gathered around Jesus. Now, by and large, most preachers and writers, um, they tend to be critical of this younger brother for interrupting Jesus. Because if you look at the context, uh, Jesus before he is interrupted, uh, he is talking about some important things with the crowd. He's talking to them about being concerned about those who can destroy the soul. He is teaching them about confessing God before the world. And here, all of a sudden, in the midst of this great teaching, you have this guy interrupting him and saying, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the family inheritance with me. It's a bit like the student who raises their hand at that time that you're teaching about something really important, and they ask, is this going to be on the final exam? But in fact, the question is not as silly or as irrelevant as you and I may think. Uh, inheritance is something that is talked a lot about in, in the Bible, uh, especially in the Old Testament uh, Deuteronomy 21, Numbers 27, uh, these, these sections are all about inheritance. And in the Old Testament, uh, the instructions are general enough that it left all sorts of questions. And so arguments often arose in families about the fairness of the elder in the family in regard to the inheritance. And, and so this younger brother asked Jesus to shape his brother up because his brother is ripping him off. Now, it's not really a request. Uh, this man is telling Jesus 
what to do. Again, he wants him to shape his brother up. And so Jesus answers that he is not really interested um, in this approach. He says that he is called to be not a divider, but a reconciler. But then he turns to the man and to the whole crowd, and he says some pretty significant things. Right? He's not going to be drawn into this debate, but Jesus is the expert teacher who can take that bad interruption from a student, a bad question, a bad demand, and he can use it to bring something out wise and useful. And so Jesus does a, a couple of things. First thing he does is he warns the brothers, and he warns all of us, to be on guard against greed. He says, take care, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. And the word greed in the Greek is a word that's really speaking about uh, insatiable desire, right? Insatiable desire. In the scriptures, greed is seen as a, as a really serious sin. Uh, I mean, Paul, in our reading from Colossians that we just heard this morning, um, he says this. He said to us, put to death, therefore, whatever in you that is earthly, fornication, impurity, passion, evil desire, and greed, which is idolatry. Paul equates greed with idolatry, insatiable desire. I remember reading, and I can't, I can't remember where I read this, uh, but there was a character in a story who kept saying, I want, I want, I want. Character never said what he wanted. He just kept saying, I want, I want, I want. And you see, there is something about us that is expressed in that wanting, and that namely is that we have hungry hearts. Our hearts are hungry. And when Jesus says, be on guard, be watchful, he's saying, don't stuff your hungry hearts with whatever happens to be near at hand. Uh, don't let this consumeristic, pleasure-seeking, this fame-glorifying society tell you how to satisfy this hunger. Jesus says, life does not consist in the abundance of things. And we could also say to the more cultured among us, neither does life consist in the quality of things. Life does not consist in the quality or quantity of things in the abundance of our possessions. Again, this week as I was um, re reflecting on this and this idea that life does not consist in the abundance of possessions, I mean, I thought again just how obvious this is. I mean, this is, this is not shocking. We're not surprised Jesus says this. And I, I think probably all of us would affirm, well, well, of course life doesn't consist in the abundance of things. And yet, possessions, uh, let's, let's just talk about money. Money has a huge influence on our life. I mean, there is a reason why worshiping God and worshiping mammon are tough contenders. Because money can do pretty much 
what God promises to do. Money can provide you with a lot of security. I mean, there are people who are so poor that if their car battery goes dead or their furnace goes out, it is a disaster. For most of us, it's just a bump in the road. Money provides a sense of security. More than that, money provides a sense of self-esteem, of worth. People think well of those whose houses have curb appeal. Right? It gives you status. If you're poor, you've just gone down on the scale. And third, money provides an escape from boredom. It can provide pleasure. It can make your life exciting. You can plan trips. So when Jesus says, life does not consist in the abundance of things, we need to be honest that even though we, we know this, it is a temptation for us. Now, to, to teach this, or to convey this idea to the crowd, Jesus then tells a parable. He says that there's a, a rich man who one year has this incredible crop. I mean, it is a massive crop. Uh, it's so big that he can't store it in his existing barn. So he tears down the barns he, he has, builds these giant new ones, uh, and he puts uh, all the grain, all his goods, all his wealth into those barns. And then he stands back and he looks at those barns and he says to himself, Wow. Now, now my soul is secure. Right? I, can, I can breathe. I can, I can relax. I can eat. I can drink. I can be merry. But then, Jesus tells us in the parable, God comes that night and he says to the man, you fool. This very night your life is being demanded of you and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So it is with those who store up treasures for themselves, but are not rich towards God. Now, I don't, I don't know about you, but I find uh, those words from God deeply disturbing. Here we have God, who at the end of a man's life says, You fool. You were a fool in life. Being a fool in God's eyes means that you've got the recipe for the good life all wrong, right? Your, your, your formula for flourishing, it's wrong. You, you missed the point, right? You missed the point for this drama to which you were introduced. You've, you've been a jackass, basically, clueless as to what life is about, you did not, God says to the man, you did not secure your soul like you thought because life does not consist in the abundance of things. And so as we, as we hear those words, I, I, think, I think the question for us is, okay, well then what, what does life consist in? I'm not, because none of us want to get to the end of our life and be called a fool. So what does our life actually consist of? You know, in this modern world, we, we 
have forgotten what our life consists of. When we think of ourselves, we, we tend to think of ourselves psychologically. What, what I mean by that is when I think about my life, I think about how I experience life. So I tend to think of myself as a man at the age I am, in the, in the conditions I find myself, my circumstances. Uh, what is the, the, the sense of my, my physical health or lack thereof, my emotional inner peace or lack thereof, uh, my, my intimacy needs or lack thereof? Am I on a meaningful career path or not? I, I, I tend to call all these things myself. I identify myself with these things. So if I were to ask you how things are going, you would, you would tell me about these things. And I would listen and we would share stories about ourselves with one another. This is, this is how we think of ourselves, this, that this is what life consists of, that life consists of the sum total of these constantly fluctuating circumstances carrying us through time until we die. But Jesus says no. He says, he says there is more to life than that. He says you, you are that, but you are not just that. You are also a spiritual being created by God in the image and likeness of God with an infinite destiny. And that the God who gives you that destiny is with you sustaining you. You see, Jesus, he, he, he wants us to uh, transcend the psychological modes of self and enter into the spiritual dimension of ourself, which is where life is really found. But we, we forget to do this. We, we, we are so uh, externalized. Uh, the weight of events of our daily life just, just spin us out into our circumstances where we're focused on just getting through the day, uh, on our attainments, our, our losses, and we are tempted to think we are nothing but that. And insofar as we are nothing but that, we miss the true meaning of life, like that rich man in the parable. But then we fall in love or we have a child, or we lose love, or we nearly die, or we're out alone in the middle of a thunderstorm. And all of a sudden, the richness of interiority, the richness of who God created us to be, it, it, it dawns on us. And having tasted it, we know it's there, that that, that is where life is found. You see, and this is how I'll conclude uh, because this is, I think, the grace we see in the passage. In, in a passage that doesn't appear to have a lot of grace. But the grace is this, that Jesus is telling us that our identity and our life, it doesn't consist in the size of our bank accounts, our physical health, our jobs. No, our identity lies in the fact that we are related to God. That the sheer fact of our existence is to be participating in the life and glory of God. I mean, hear this, hear this. You belong, body and soul, in life and death, 
to the God who came and continues to come to us, the God who gives us life. The one to whom you belong tells you, this is my body, this is my blood, this is my life, this is my death for you. Relax. I've got you. You're secure. As Paul says, your life is hidden with Christ in God. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. And as for the grain in your barn, whether that is much or little, the work you do, the things you're good at, your belongings, your physical health, as far as defining your life and securing your soul, they're worthless because they were not meant to define you. They were not meant to secure your soul. They are gifts, gifts with which you and I must bless the name of God and neighbor. But that is the question for us today, and what a profound question for each one of us to ask ourselves. What does my life actually consist in? Amen.